It's time for the Raging Cajun Army. The only place where it's all Cajuns all the time. Kick is on its way, and the kick is good! Cajuns win! 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 A 50-yard field goal! And time expires by Brent Bear in Louisiana! Welcome into another edition of the Raging Cajun Army. I am Matt Miguez, and you know, before we kind of dive into what's going to be an interesting day on Saturday, I just wanted to make a big announcement real quick. Um, I was given two brand new positions today. I will be a writer for 24-7 Sports covering the Cajuns, as well as Louisiana Gridiron Football Magazine. I'll be covering the Cajuns in there as well, as well as diving into high school football a little bit. Um, so I've been very blessed with that opportunity and looking forward to covering the Cajuns even harder for you guys. Um, and so now, you know, we'll kind of we'll kind of get into what's, like I said, what's going to be an interesting day on Saturday as we take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs at 11 o'clock in New Orleans. And to break it all down is none better than former Cajuns defensive star and ESPN 1420's color commentator, Chris Lano. Chris, what's going on, man? You don't have to be so modest about the star right there. You can, uh, you know, former player, it, it, it suffice. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, but I like the way how you don't mention until just now, live on the radio, that you picked up the 24-7 gig and you wanted some raw uh, reaction from me on that. That's that's pretty impressive. Good Thank job. You, Congratulations on that. I'm looking forward to reading your pieces. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, um, you know, obviously, we're, we're very excited, you know, about almost 36 hours from, from kickoff, and just preliminary right off the bat, what are, what are you kind of seeing from, from, from both camps, and what, what can you, you kind of talk about going into Saturday? Well, it threw a curveball this week, uh, hearing the injury report, uh, one that's being highly... Um, with a strong emphasis on is, is Kevin Dotson that's day-to-day, and I'm not even sure where along the body that he's lingering from, but uh, that's something to keep an eye on for this week especially because, you know, somebody who really anchors this offensive line, I, and I have such high regard for him as being the, maybe the best offensive lineman who, who's ever put on a Cajun uniform. It's something that I've been saying for quite a while. So hopefully he can come in and, and just help anchor this line against a, a very stout uh, Mississippi State defensive front. 
But other than that, I, I think it's been a very solid camp. Uh, it's been, it had some nice crisp practices throughout the fall camp from what I've been hearing. And uh, hopefully, collectively, we can just put it all together on Saturday and really put on a show. Now, Chris, let me ask you this because I'm a I'm kind of somebody who's not very sold on our on our QB one, um, number one Levi Lewis, and maybe that's just because you know I haven't seen enough from him in his in his first two years in Lafayette. But you know, we talked off the air, and you're sold on on Levi Lewis. Tell me why. Well, I hear a lot of question marks in regards to his height and uh, lack of experience. And I'm telling you, you know, if you look at it this way, if you were to just just evaluate spring practice and if every quarterback during spring would say, let's just say they were all just a silhouette and you were just kind of just going by just results. You can look at Le- Levi's silhouette, and I can tell you right now because I've seen so much of him already. I'm, oh, that's Levi Lewis. I mean, he's incredible, and he's far beyond anybody else, far surpassed anybody else as far as skill set and just his understanding of the offense and just his overall intangibles are just off the chart. And I've just really bought into the guy the last couple months, and I think people are sleeping on him. I've said this before many times this week. I just think he's the Sun Belt's best-kept secret so far, and uh, I, I think this week, hopefully this week, it's his coming out party. Yeah, and you know, like I've, I've told many people, I hope I hope he proves me wrong. Um, I would love to see nothing more because really and truly, we haven't had that solid production at the quarterback spot since Terrence Broadway. Because um, you know, after Terrence Broadway, you went to Brooks Hack, who was you know pretty subpar, and then you go to um, Jordan Davis, and you go to Anthony Jennings, and uh, most recently, Andre Nunez and Nunez showed, you know, spots of being, being you know that that big time quarterback quality last season. Davis and Nunez have had their ups and downs. That they have uh, a, a lot of downs, but I thought Nunez was very solid last year in Napier's offense. And uh, Jordan Davis, I thought, you know, he was a guy who really can beat you with his legs. And we saw it, I believe it was in that Georgia game yeah, where he yeah. really came out and he was able to move the chains and really gave the Cajuns a shot in that second half. Yeah, the, the, I remember that game vividly. The Cajuns could have gotten away with that one. But uh, that, big, that big punt return for a touchdown by Isaiah McKenzie really put it away for the Bulldogs. And, you know, talking about quarterbacks, let's look, let's look to the other side of the field. Let's look to... To Mississippi State with their grad transfer Tommy Stevens, you know obviously he's he's unproven. He didn't play a whole lot at Penn State, but he's been under Joe Moorhead's system. And you know being that kind of offensive-minded guy, what what do you kind of see? You know I don't, I don't know how much film you've seen on Tommy Stevens, but what what can you kind of maybe inquire about what he's going to do with our defense on Saturday? Well, I look at it this way, and I don't know if it's as much about. Tommy Stevens being a part of Moorhead's system for a year, or I just think it could be the lack of skill set that a Deontay Thompson had in his system, in a Moorhead system. So I think that may have played more a part in it. Um, and you, you look at Tommy Stevens, what he did a year ago at Penn State, and he, I want to say he maybe attempted somewhere around 40 total passes in his career there, which I, I'm not sure how many years that, that was. Um, but he was a guy who did it all, basically. He was like that Swiss Army knife. And really, it was just more so just to kind of get him acclimated in the office, to get his get his presence on the field because he was a good athlete, where he took handoffs, he had high, wide receiver sweeps, 
He threw passes, obviously, but he caught passes. So he did it all, a, a little bit of each in his Penn State uh, short-term career, um, in, in, but more so in a reserve role, in, in what you would say in a sense of a lot of garbage time. So, But I, I think I, I got a chance to steal a little bit of what I like to call YouTube film on him. Right, which right. I, you know, that, that, that's... It's quality resources at times. You know, sometimes you have to go to that to, to get what you need. And I don't. Th- I think he lacks the arm strength that you would ideally want in a quarterback. So for me, it's looking forward to see just what kind of chemistry he has with his receivers because he's got his top three. Well, I say his. He wasn't there a year ago. But states returning their top three receivers in terms of yardage from last year. So I think he's got good weapons. I like Kylan Hill, the running back position. I'm not sure what they have behind him. Maybe they'd like the depth, unlike what the Cajuns have this season. But he does have a good number one in Kylan Hill. He's got three good receivers. And in the converse of what the Cajuns are suffering as far as in tight end shortage, tight end's actually their deepest unit on Mississippi State's side. They've got five guys returning that have all seen playing action a year ago. So he's got good weapons around him with a very good offensive line, which they did lose two guys to the NFL last year, but they do return to two what I like to call the twin towers in the left tackle, right tackle, although the left tackle is now moving the right tackle, and the right tackle is going to be moving the right guard. So very similar, eerily similar in a sense of what UL did a few years ago when they moved Robert Hunt, and they really loaded that right exactly they loaded that right side up uh so you it's it's similar in that way but uh it's going to be very interesting and it's it could be a game that's won within the trenches now i can't remember if tommy stevens is a right hander or a left hander right hander okay so that right side would be it wouldn't be his blind side wouldn't be his blind the the left side okay left side you you see my, my thinking and you know i don't have a coaching background or even a football playing background but, but my point of thinking would be, wouldn't you want to stack that left side to protect his blind side? Well, that or maybe they had quality guys that they thought would be better suited along the left side to where I think in terms of value, you move those left side guys who are versatile enough that are going to be just as good along the right side. You can look at it in that sense as well. Right, right. And, you know, you talked about the the running back position for Mississippi State not being very deep or just not knowing well, we just don't know. Right. It's unproven at this point. Now, let's and, – and you talked about, you know, it's opposite here in, in at Louisiana. Which, which running back are you expecting to see maybe the most production come Saturday or having the biggest, the biggest impact on the game? Because obviously we're going to play all three. All three are going to get their touches. But which one can really, against a defense like Mississippi State's, really kind of break out a little bit? I think I think it could be Raymond Calais, and I think for that sense, I, I'm not sure what kind of success we're going to have in between the tackles. I think it could be more as far as Getting what, do we, what, what, do we, what do we do in the play action? Are we going to try to widen them out into the slot or at least into the wide side of the field or to the short side of the field? But try to get him out in space against their linebackers that are more suited against the run. They have very good linebacker play. First team all Sun Belt guy, and I believe – his name is Earl, Tom, Earl, Earl, Earl Thompson, uh, the Mike linebacker from last year, who had a great year, and he returns this year. He, he becomes the captain of that defense. But I think they lack a little bit in coverage ability to where then their overall strength is against the run. So I, I think Raymond Calais, could, he could be that X factor going into this game, but you asked me if I have to pick a one guy that I think is going to stand out, I'll have to go with Calais. Yeah, and, and you know, I... I know we we kind of talked about um, 
the best radio is kind of disagreeing a little bit, but I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I, like, like you said, you know, we might not have too much success in between the tackles, so I think the game's going to come down to, like you said, play action, you know, getting it out in the flat, letting letting Calais use his agility and his elusiveness mm-hmm. to his ability and kind of kind of blow the game open that way. And, you know, we talked about uh, the defense and Tommy Stevens and whatnot. What kind of pressure will – obviously you're a defensive guy. I know you've, you've probably broken down some film on our defense for this game. And so what can you, we expect from, you know, guys like Benny Higgins, Chauncey Manack, Joe Dillon on, you know, kind of putting that pressure on Stevens on the outside? Well, I'm curious to know exactly how we're going to use utilize a guy like Benny Higgins. I, I'm sure, from what I'm hearing, he's a 3-4 defensive end. I consider him more. I thought he had a lot of his success more on the inside last year. That big Texas State game was his coming out party. Mm-hmm. But I had said that the week the week going into that game where Texas State, you know, they, they couldn't find anybody off the street to play right tackle and right guard. They were struggling along that side. And that, that was one of my better predictions of, of the season last year when I said that Benny Higgins was going to have a field day or whoever was going to be lined up along that side of, 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 the, uh, of the line. So I, I think he's more suited of, of, of more like a 3-4, I guess maybe a 3-4 in, but, but that outside linebacker position I, I think uh, is one to really keep an eye out on it, it, between Chris Moncrief and Joe Dillon, along with Andre Riley as well, somebody that I'm very high on. But uh, I, I think between them and Chauncey Manick, it, it could be the difference maker. I mean, it, it could be. We'll, we'll see if those guys are able to compress. Not You don't necessarily need to get a pass rush along the outside. Just compress that pocket and make it a little, a little bit more uncomfortable for Tommy Stevens. And, you know, a guy that I'm, I'm high on, we're talking about the, the defense here for the Cajuns, Lorenzo McCaskill. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's, he's largely unproven. You know, he had off-the-field off issues last year. Um, Napier actually ended up suspending him indefinitely from the team. He's an inter- he's a very interesting prospect on this team, and keep going, and I'll, I'll explain why. Yeah, and I, I see the I see the build, and I see the speed that he has, and you know, especially in that in that kind of linebacker safety hybrid kind of position that that he looks like he could play. You know, what makes him so versatile and? Maybe what what do you see? I know he's not listed as a starter, but like what can you see from him going through the season as a whole? Well, he he may not be listed as as a starter, but he plays almost starter minutes. He's big on a reserve role along with Jacques Boudreau. I think he's going to be backing up Farrard Gardner, or is it Jacques Boudreau on the mic position? Jacques, uh, it, for, for it, Mississippi, the Mississippi State game, Jacques's going to be in the mic. It's going to be the mic, but, but is McCaskill behind Gardner, or is it going McCaskill's to be... McCaskill's behind it, Gardner. He's behind Gardner. Okay, so Gardner and McCaskill. And like I, I was saying, um, you know how the Herbie Awards every season, Kirk Herbstreit, he gives out the most... What's the one where... The player just, just just looks the part, the most the part player. Right, right. That, that that's that's McCaskill on the UL football team. He is the most the part out of anybody within that locker room. You look at this guy in school, in between classes, like God, who who the heck is that guy? You know, right, right. I mean, what what, what SEC school did he transfer from? I mean, that, <laughs> right. that's, that's, exact, that's who he is basically. Because that was the one guy that caught my eye last year when I visited camp in the fall. I was asking Troy Wingard, I mean, who's that number two? I mean, who, who is that guy? And it was Lorenzo McCaskill. So he's definitely something to keep to keep an eye, someone to keep an eye out on. But uh, 
it's his versatility and his ability to scrape along the outside just to really utilize his athleticism is where he's going to come in handy. And you're right, he has gotten in trouble in the past. Uh, maybe he's, I'm sure he's learned from his mistakes. Kudos to Billy Napier for giving him a second shot. Because uh, we, as, as we've heard before, what, what, what Nick Saban said in the presser earlier this week, you, you know, y'all people in the media, they always want to condemn somebody when they make a mistake. But where else would you rather them be to overcome that adversity? You'd rather them be within that locker room, within that cohesiveness of the players, and just learn from from your mistake within that confine. Right. Instead of just putting them back on the street. And that, I think for that, I commend Billy Napier for doing the right thing. Get them back into the locker room. You know, give the kid a second chance. I'm sure, you know, he's learned from his mistakes and uh, looking forward to watching that kid play. Yeah, and, and you know, like like you said, what better place to be than in that in that environment? Because not only, you know, being in a being in a brotherhood and a family, and but, you know, that, that kind of keeps him grounded and keeps him from, you know, maybe making that mistake again. And so, you know, like like you said, I commend Billy Napier on, on giving second chances. I'm a guy that always always believes in second chances, and, you know, I think that's a big thing. Um, you know, Mike Jaquette, he, he's obviously, it's his second year go, uh, playing the defensive side of the football, and I know I talked to him at Fan Day about two weeks ago. He's battling uh, turf toe right now, and he's day-to-day. Um, if he is good to go, what what can you see? What what have you seen from him in, in camp after having a full year of playing the defensive side of the ball under his belt? Well, first of all, I can relate to Turf Toe. I played my entire senior year just kind of sucking it up with Turf Toe. Now his the severity of his could be a lot worse. I've had a minor Turf Toe. Um, uh, I, I was dealing with, with with minor Turf Toe symptoms my senior year, so I was able to I guess play through it through a course of 12 games but in Jaquette's uh it seems like for Jaquette it's it's lingering and it could be some it could be troublesome for you know very troublesome for him early on in the season especially week one but um I'm not really too sure along the depth chart who we have behind Jaquette uh, I'm looking at it right now as we speak. Ajlan uh, Washington. Ajlan Washington. And if, and I wanted to say it was going to be what AJ Washington is. is AJ Washington. They call okay. him AJ, and that's the guy. When I talked to Lamar Morgan a few weeks ago, that he was very high on, high praise for. And if you remember, and you were there during uh, Media Day, Sun Belt Media Day in New Orleans, it was somebody. I think it was AJ Washington that. Bam Jackson, when that question was asked of him, now it could have been Cody and, and, and Greg Lennard, it may have not have been you, but they asked those guys, who was someone to look out for on this team that no one's ever heard of? AJ and it was Washington. Bam Jackson that mentioned A.J. Washington. So this could be a big opportunity for a guy like A.J. this week. But to get back to your Jacquette question, as far as like what to expect from him, I mean, you, you look at the guy, he's got all the tools and all... He, he, you know, he's a physical specimen at that cornerback position. Somebody you look for in in terms of playing in that next in that next league on Sundays. So I want to say six one, six two, almost a good stature of at least about one hundred and ninety to two uh, to two hundred pounds. Uh, former wide receiver who had to learn the position last year as it went along. So he obtained a lot of responsibilities in in, in such a short manner of time. And now he's had a whole off season to digest that, and so I, I think his technique is down, and I, and I think he's going to be better as far as in terms of man-to-man coverage. 
So we'll, we'll see. But, you know, that turf toe, that could be a real issue. And I'm just not sure what to expect this Saturday in terms of that. Yeah, and, you know, chatting here with Chris Lano. Chris, you know, obviously you having playing experience with the Cajuns and now being back, this will be your second year as color commentator for the ESPN 1420 broadcast. You know, what's it, what's it like being back in Cajun Field on, on Saturdays in a in a different role than, than just where you were 15, 10 years ago? Well, I, first of all, I'll say I, I definitely rediscovered my overall empathy for the game and just what the game has brought for me in terms of just success in life. And just I, I look I like I look at now at everything that I have, wife, three kids, uh, great job. And a lot of that, I, I can thank just the game of football for bringing those opportunities in front of me for that. So any way I can give back for what has given me so much, um, you know, I, I'm very dear to and just uh, – I, I've become more involved with Arcav. It's one thing, and, and I, I've, I, I guess I've really had a better perspective of Arcav by doing this uh, radio gig along with Jay Walker and Cody Juno. So really, it has uh, given me an opportunity to really just focus on things that have that have that matter in life in terms of just what have been so great for me over the years and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to continue outside of radio once I'm done with this to support the program. But in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing. And I, I, I like look, working with the guys that I'm working with right now. You know, you talk about RCAF and, you know, what's it, it, it's been a, a touchy subject over the last, you know, week and a half. And, we're, and I'm talking about Billy Napier, you know, requiring, making it encouraged, whatever the term may be. For the players to donate a minimum of fifty dollars to the RCAF. Now, I am in full support of this. I see, you know, no, no negative to to this aspect. But you know, you seeing it from a fan's perspective now, a commentator's perspective, and even as a player, what what do you, what do you see with with that new with that new uh, idea that Billy Napier has? I, I thought it was when I'll tell you my first raw reaction when I first heard about it I thought it was great until and still to this day I think it's great actually I have a more profound respect for it and regardless of what the media back, backlash has been and what bothers me is, is just the lack of detail that the media has on this instead I, I think the media and I, I don't want to get too political you know right. within this but in, in a sense you kind of have to where I think a narrative can be drawn up and within that narrative, they try to reach their certain conclusions of like what's going on. And that, that's not the case. These are not kids in poverty that don't have $50 within their pockets. If you know the details of what goes on between these athletes, I believe they get a certain stipend mm-hmm. because of student. And you can you chime in and help me out with right. this because I'm not as knowledgeable about this as you are. So from fill, what, fill in the blanks from, if you from can. What, from what I've heard – the athletes receive on average from nine hundred to eighteen hundred dollars a month. There you go. So, you know that's and and since most of them live on campus, that's eighteen hundred dollars a month going that, in their pocket. That's just in your pocket, right? And, and, and so, and, and you're and you're asking for something so much more than just fifty dollars. You're teaching these kids something about responsibility, integrity, and just and just understanding how to give back for those who have just given so much to you 
to flourish into the kind of success that we have that we have flourished into in terms of in terms of the the necessities with the amenities of the U athletic department with the indoor facility the nutrition bar that we have within the complex the new locker room all that just given by RCAV over the years you know it it, it took a lot of hard sweat equity to get these kind of things it took many years and i like i like to think i like to brag to think that the foundation of that began a couple couple years before me so that's why i was very passionate about this yeah so you know i I don't care what the media outside and you know the national media has to say about it because they don't understand the details about it and uh i was quite bothered in a sense matter of fact that was a lack of a better word just upset about it and I really just I didn't care I didn't care and I expressed my opinion on a few things on social media that I just I don't take back yeah no absolutely I mean I, I got a little uh, I got a little heated on social media as well and I, I stand behind what I said and if the topic came back up again I'd probably say the same wording again um, it's just like, like you said it's something I'm very passionate about it's something that I feel is a great opportunity for the program and I've told multiple people this I have a feeling that in the next five at met at most 10 years, a lot of programs across the country are going to be doing something similar. Similar, yeah. Um, just because, in, in my opinion, I see nothing but financial growth and growth for facilities and whatever it may be for the athletic program as a whole. So I think it's, a, I think it's an excellent thing. Um, but what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, um, have a 20-second sponsorship to uh to roll and then whenever we come back we'll we'll talk x factors for saturday and um we'll go ahead and wrap this puppy up here on the raging cajun army stay tuned we'll be right back the raging cajun army podcast is brought to you each and every week by nick selfo state farm conveniently located across from the petroleum club at 200 hyman boulevard here in lafayette call nick and his staff for all your insurance needs whether it be home auto life or health 337-981-6638. And we're back here on the Rage of Cajun Army. Matt Miguez and Chris Lano. And Chris, you know, like like I said before the break, we'll we'll dive into X-Factors now for Saturday. And obviously, you know, defensive-minded. We'll start with the defense. What does the defense have to do against Mississippi State's offense to give the Cajuns a chance on Saturday? Well, stats can be misleading. And when I look at the stat sheet, I'm not necessarily looking at total yards, yards per game, total first downs. The one glaring stat I'm going to look for, and it's not necessarily a stat, it's just something that you just identify while the game's being played, and that's situational defense. Do you make the stops at the right times situationally? So if you need that turnover while deep into your red zone, you get that turnover. It's something I said earlier in the week. I think for us to win this game, we will have to create one turnover in our red zone. Absolutely. I, I believe that. And I think we will not only have to win the turnover battle, we got to win it by two. I think you got to win this turnover battle by two. And, and ultimately, I think, you know, because in games such as, such as this, you almost need a perfect storm. In, yeah. a, in a sense. So a lot of things have to go your way. You got to get lucky. You got to get, you got to get the right bounces in terms of a lot of things. So if, if that can happen, and that's a big if, but hey, if it can happen, then we've got a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I like that you said that you have to get lucky. You know, one of my one of my mentors in, in life is my my high school basketball coach, 
and the night we won a state championship in basketball, he was being interviewed by local media, and they said, Coach, you know, if you could pick three things it takes to win a championship, you know, what would it be? He said, skill, heart, and just a little bit of luck. Mm-hmm. You, you have to get lucky sometimes, and, you know, I think I think the Cajuns realize that. I think they realize that they're going to have to get lucky, but the biggest thing is we have to win the turnover battle. Um, we, we haven't been great the last couple of years at forcing turnovers. Um, we've done a good job of not giving the ball away on offense, but we have to do a better job of taking away the ball on defense. And now, if you could pick one player in our defensive 11 to really be an X factor, if you will, on Saturday, who would, who would you have to pick? You know, I do have an X factor, but it's somebody that you will not see glare up on the stat sheet. It's more of if he does his job, then others around him will have success, and I think that starts with Zion Hill. I think with Zion Hill, it's very important for him. He, It's very important where he ends up on what side of the ball when that running back crosses the line of scrimmage because if they can get that double team on him and get up that line of scrimmage and eventually work that double team to get to the linebacker position along with the, to get possibly scrape off of, uh, the mic, which is Jacques Boudreaux, things can really open up for Mississippi State in terms of that run game. So I think it's imperative that a guy like Zion Hill, he, he, just, he just bodes up this game bodies up along that line of scrimmage and he holds his own and you won't see that in the stat sheet you won't but he if he can take on two blockers all game long him and Tamaje Porter and others along that interior front this game is going to be won by one of those two guys I think they're going to be a big part of that so I have to give it to them and you know my my x factor if I had to pick one as I'm going to say Deuce Wallace um his leadership ability um his uncanny, his uncanny ability to be a quote-unquote ball hawk. Um, he, he loves to be around the ball, whether he's intercepting it, you know, deflecting it, whatever it may be. And just the, the hard-nosed mentality that he likes to play with, I think, I think that's going to be a big factor for the Cajuns against a team like Mississippi State. And now, Chris, you know, we'll look at the offensive side. And I, I know that people say stats can be misleading. Stats aren't really important. But, you know, in, in this sense, what do Levi Lewis and company have to do, whether on the ground, in the air, whatever it may be? What, what would you say would be the best plan of action to kind of get past that Mississippi State defense? I say a lot of play action. Try to keep Mississippi State running on their toes. Try to, get, try to keep them on their feet in a lot of zone read opportunities, a lot of stretch zone plays, play action, try to get Levi faking it to his right to where he's on the move to his left, where he's on his left side with his left arm throwing the ball, I think because that's where he could be most um, most lethal. But in terms of as far as what, I mean, really, you look, you look at it now, you look back of just the recent history of this team and what has happened to a guy like Cole Prudham at center, it's going to be very key in just in terms of the the calls that a Shane Vallant makes at center coming up to the line of scrimmage with with four veteran savvy guys. Hopefully four. We don't know about Kevin Dotson yet. He's still day to day, and that's something that uh, Billy Napier might just be keeping under his uh, under his wing in terms of just his overall availability. And we we just don't know. Hopefully, he's out there suited up because that's big, but. I think those four veteran guys, 
are going to play a pivotal part in terms of helping a guy like Valet make the right calls of identifying the mic and as far as the blitz pickups, where's the safety, and uh, just identifying the safety. And all that, it just trickles down all, all throughout the line to the quarterback position, to the running back. So, But it starts with Shane Valley, and that's just something to look out for. Yeah, and you know we're we're talking about the you know the X factors in this in this game, and obviously our running game is going to be pivotal. Um, Phil Steele ranked our running back core as the number eight group in the country, so um, using that is obviously going to be to our advantage. But at the same time, I'm almost certain the Mississippi State has done their homework, and they're going to know that the running game is the one thing that needs to be stopped. So if you're Billy Napier on that offensive side of the ball, you know. Are, are we are we focused more on the on the passing game or or like you said kind of stick into the the play action and see if maybe we can't bust a couple big runs on them well I'm curious to know how it's going to open up because I'm thinking that the first possession coming into the game it'll be very curious to know if we win the coin toss what we do that's I would receive that, that that's something to pay attention to and, I, and I'm with you I would take the ball first because I think in Billier's mindset he wants something scripted immediately into this game. I think he wants to set the tone on offense. Set the tone, absolutely. I think he wants to set the tone on offense. And I, I, I don't think it's important that you score the first drive, but you don't want to go three and out. No. You don't want – it can really suck the life out of out of your team if you go three and out and you punt the ball and all of a sudden they're in good field position. So that's something to look out for, the coin toss and what, and if we win it, what we decide to do. But, you know, you mentioned the run game – What? As far as in terms of from Mississippi State's perspective, that what they're thinking of us, that that we, you know, historic. Well, I say historically within the last year or so, our run game has been stout. So let's try to contain Levi of going over the top uh, in the passing game in the vertical game. And I, I think for a guy like Levi Lewis, something that you cannot simulate in practice is what's going to happen with him when the play breaks down. Just how crucial he could be to the offense in terms of when you've got safeties that are trying to eye down Levi Lewis and it breaks down and the safety has to make a decision on what to do. Yep. Do I converge up into the second level or first level or do I stay back in coverage? Do, do I stay disciplined in that way? So that's where a guy like Levi Lewis can really hurt you offensively and, uh, and he did that against App State. If you go back and you watch the film, that's eventually that's that's essentially how we scored that first touchdown yep. down the sidelines to Elijah Mitchell is when he was breaking it down with his feet, and all of a sudden you had Clifton Duck and you had both safeties. They they were in a funk; they could not decide what they wanted to do, and that left Elijah Mitchell down Wide the sideline. All he had to do was just throw the ball up, and he was going to catch and just trot into the end zone. So you look at that play right there, and that could be very just evident of what could happen uh, on Saturday. We'll see. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you two situational ideas, and, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you're going to say. Coaches meeting, you know, tomorrow, early Saturday morning, whenever it may be, if you're Billy Napier, what are three things that you're telling your coaches have to be done to give you a chance? <sighs> Just block out the noise and forget about history. Just have that amnesia uh, during the game. As far as in terms of what to tell your players, uh, they're going to make plays, and forget about 
the history of this program in terms of its lack of success against SEC opponents. It doesn't matter. This team is this year's team. It's not last year's team or the year before's team. Um, we've had opportunities against big programs uh, re- in recent history. Against Florida, that still leaves a sour taste in my mouth. and uh, Still leaves a sour taste in all of our mouths. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just... They're going to make plays, and to, but just you got to be able to have that amnesia and just step up and you know work the next play, and then work the next play, and take one play at a time. So I, I would just be telling the coaches just make sure that the players understand that, and you know collectively if we could just come together as one, just one unit, and just be all on the same page, who knows what can happen? And hopefully. Nobody leaves New Orleans after the game. It becomes a big party Saturday night. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, I, I kind, I kind of want to want to hightail off of what what you were saying. You know, my message would be like you said to block out the noise. Um, everything that's happening around you doesn't really matter. The only thing you need to focus on is what's going on between the lines, and um, play the game that you've you've practiced playing for the last you know six months, however long it may be. Um, you're you're prepared. Don't tell yourself that you're not. Um, go out and do what you're supposed to do. You know the game plan. Go out and execute it. And then and then lastly, um, I, I think the biggest thing is for these guys to go have fun. I mean, playing a playing a game like this in the Superdome is is something that not many college players get to experience. Um, playing against a program like Mississippi State isn't something that a lot of players from a Sun Belt program get to experience. So I, I think it's something that that the guys need to step on the field and kind of soak it in a little bit. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up on a prediction. You know, I, I don't know if you're you're a big prediction guy or, or what. I love predictions. So what what's your what's yours for Saturday? I'll give you this prediction. I won't give you an end result, but I will say this. I think, I think come second half, it's going to be a close ball game, and it's going to matter to which savvy coach, whether that be Moorhead or Nat Napier, makes the right adjustments at halftime to essentially catapult their team against their opposition. And uh, I, I say catapult because you ha- you just have to assume if Moorhead can make the right adjustments against a more inferior in, in what many would say. Many would – let's just come yeah. to real, let's just come to real well, terms. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's just come to real terms of what they're, what they're saying in terms of this matchup. Um, you know, physically, just you know, they do outman us. Absolutely, they do. And uh, you know, and uh, they, you know, they have SEC bodies. I understand that. And if they can come out with the right adjustments against a UL squad in the second half, you know, that could eventually just wear UL down. Then we can see this. The, the we could just start to see a just a gap just widening in terms of just the the scoreboard. But I, I think I think in Napier's mind he's I think he's got a first half and a second half game plan, and I think he knows he's got to come out with something different to keep Mississippi State on their heels in that second half, and I think that's something he's been working on for several months, and uh, hopefully just all the chips just fall into place to where he can do that. He come out with his second half game plan if if everything is just set up for him perfectly in terms of just how the first half ended. So, but my prediction, just the so just to reiterate, I think it's going to be close in the first half, and I think that third quarter is going to be the deciding quarter. Yeah, I, I, I would have to, um, I would have to agree with you on that. 
And you know, one one thing I want to ask you before I get into my prediction, I meant to ask you this earlier. Um, the suspensions to Mississippi State is obviously, you know, a big story. Nothing's been a hundred percent confirmed. Players haven't been ID'd, anything like that. But if those ten players are in fact missing from that Mississippi State UL game on Saturday, how can that play an advantage to Louisiana's game plan? Zero. Doesn't it it, it? it plays no factor. That story right there is just a story for us to tell. It really just it it only conflicts us in terms of like just how we handle ourselves throughout the week. As far as the players, they don't care and they shouldn't care. Nothing changes. The, the playbook doesn't change. The mindset doesn't change. The mentality doesn't change. That's just something for Matt Miguez and Chris Lionel to talk about during the week. Like, hey, man, I'm hearing about these suspensions looming. It's just more of just something to kind of get the community buzzing in terms of what's going on in the opposition. And that's the way it should be. Right. In terms of what's going on within that complex, nothing changes. Absolutely. And, you know, 34-27, that's my, that's my prediction. 34-27. I think if we can get a, either a defensive touchdown or Four a special wins. teams touchdown, I think we win 34-27. Okay. Um, I think if, if we can get, like, like I said, if we can get a break and, you know, get a quick pick six or a fumble or, you know, some kind of, some kind of big play that turns into an easy seven. I, I think I think we can uh, we can get out of there with a with a W. Um, I think Mississippi State is a lot weaker of a team than they were last year. Um, replacing a guy like Nick Nick Fitzgerald isn't easy to do. A team that led the FBS in points per game with with eleven, I believe, or it might have been twelve. Uh, eleven points per game or twelve points per game that was in all of the FBS number one. But you're right, they lose their top four. Lyman from a year ago, two of them going. Well, I know one of them going in the first round, and I think Sweat went in the second round, early, early part of the second, second round. round. They lose their star safety in Abrams in the first round, so they have two first round picks on the defensive side. Lost a lot of talent in, uh, along that front, though. And that front, you know, you look at based off what, what's returning from a year ago and what's having to be replaced from our front seven. We've got everything. Everything's in order, and they're and they're just having to rebuild everything got from, that, from, marks, that, yeah. from that foundation. And it starts within that foundation, within those trenches. So you could be onto something there. You know, really, they all, their only proven player along a defensive end spot is Chauncey Rivers, who's gotten significant playing time and had and had success. Other than that, there's a lot of question marks yep. along that front. Absolutely, and you know it'll be a it'll be an interesting day on Saturday for sure. Kickoff is at 11 a.m. You can watch it on ESPNU, but you know you can you can pull the Rage and Cajun Army method, and that is putting the game on TV and then muting it and syncing up ESPN 1420 with Jay Walker, Chris Lano, and Cody Juno on the sidelines. Um, Chris pregame begins at nine. You don't know. That's early. You don't know. I don't think. I don't think nine o'clock. Oh, in terms of Stevie P and, and Chris right, Green, right. Okay, I, it could be. It could be. I, nine. Think, I think it's two hours it, before. It kickoff. might be. You're right. I think it is. Two and hours then y'all before. come on at ten. Y'all come on thirty minutes before. Uh, around ten thirty, ten forty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Roughly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, yeah, guys. That's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of the Rage of Cajun Army. Chris, I appreciate you coming on. Um, safe travels to um, New Orleans. My pleasure. It was fun. Um, and uh, hopefully throughout the season we get to do this again. Absolutely. All right, guys, y'all stay tuned, and uh, until then, go Cajuns.